As most of you know, some of my favorite Sundays of the year include having opportunity to interact with, with missionaries. And when you come into our foyer, you see a map of the world that's represented there. And we have strings that are attached from where Syracuse, New York is that stretch to all the different places in the world. And what that represents is everywhere there is a missionary that we support from this church, there is a string that is stretched to the part of the world where they represent. And so you can see that we are a missionary-loving church. Uh, I believe that one of the reasons that uh, we have the health and growth we do is because we love the world and not just everything that happens in here. And uh, this morning we have the privilege of, of having... Um, some dear, dear friends, the Rosh family. Now, many of you know them because when they're not itinerating, and itineration is when a missionary comes home from the field. Generally, they're on the, the mission field for four years, and then they come home for about a year, sometimes a little longer than that, and they have to re-raise their support, uh, and churches support them so that they can be returned back to the field. So just because they're home does not mean they're on vacation. In fact, this is the farthest thing from vacation that a missionary can go through because I can tell you that they are traveling to different places all over the Northeast every weekend sharing their hearts with different churches that have supported them and, and other churches that they hope will support them. We are a supporting church of the Rosh family and uh, I would like to invite Terry if you'd please come with up here and, and introduce him and he's going to say a few words then we're going to show a video and then uh, Pastor Mark, our, our youth and family pastor, who's the best interviewer on our staff, we're going to let him come, and we're going to do a little interview this morning with this family, and uh, there will be some ways that you can text message questions. Uh, I, think, I think that's Pastor Jeff's number. He's been put in charge of the very important responsibility of making sure your questions are appropriate. Not that, not that we don't trust you. And then after he gets those, he will forward those to Pastor Mark up here, and we want to be able to answer. If you don't have a cell phone, you better hope somebody else asks the question that you've got this morning. But let me introduce, and let's give a, a Grace Assembly welcome to, to Terry Rock. Anyhow, well, this one works, we know for sure. It's great to be with you guys. It was great to be able to wake up and only have to travel 30 minutes to get here. Um, we do have to travel an hour and a half to go to our next service, but we won't think about that. But it's great to be local. Um, as Pastor said, um, we are the Roshes. My daughter, Amber, um, and my son, Jacob, are now teenagers. When we began this process, they were just wee little tykes of three and five years old. Now they're big tykes of 13 and 16. Um, my son actually drove us yesterday from another service. We were at home, so now I have a chauffeur. But as your pastor mentioned, we're missionaries in Panama. God afforded us the opportunity to plant a church in a city in, in Panama called Santiago. Santiago is the third largest city in Panama. Actually, I met a young lady here where she is from Santiago. There she is. And um, so it was so amazing to be able to talk with her for a moment. But, but we began a church there in Santiago with six people. Uh, my family of four, and another co-pastor, and um, his wife. And so the six of us began this church in Santiago, and over the last four years, we just saw God do some amazing things. We've been able to host uh, many different teams to come and minister alongside of us. And so we have a video just to show kind of a highlight of the last four years, some of the things that God has allowed us, afforded us the opportunity to do in Panama. So go ahead and um, play that video if you can. Um, 
In an effort to get to know uh, the Roshes a little bit better, um, we're going to find out first here kind of at the beginning a little bit about uh, what God's call looked like in their life. And, uh, and then please, uh, if you send some questions up to uh, that, that number there, uh, we'll be able to get to some of your questions as well. But if you guys could kind of give us a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, of what, what uh, God's call in your life to uh, missions. One of the things that um, I had mentioned in the first service, um, the first time I met the Roshes, they were serving here locally. That's one of the neat connections that we have with this family. They were serving at a church here. And, um, and, and being in relationship with them and some of the other local ministers in the area um, uh, had an opportunity to get to know them a little bit. And then pretty quickly soon thereafter, you guys headed off to the, field, the mission field. So if you could give us a snapshot of what that call looked like in your life and then maybe also um, how God directed you guys to Panama. Yeah. Uh, uh, um. <laughs> I was 14 years of age. I was on my very first missions trip. Uh, that's why we believe in AIM, um, because it was on an, an AIM-type trip that that's where God called me into the ministry and specifically into missions around the world. And so from the age of 14, I knew that's got what God wanted me to do. That doesn't mean I always actively pursued that. Um, however, I did go to Valley Forge um, and studied world missions there. So for us, it wasn't a question of if we're going to go into missions, but more so when. Uh, we came to Syracuse um, knowing in our hearts and, and sensing God speaking to us that this would be our last um, position here in the States until we were able to go uh, wherever God called us to go. Um, how we got to Panama is a very long story. I will just say that um, we were headed to another country um, in South America, uh, a country um, that we had never been to, but it was offered to us an, uh, uh, a possibility. And we met with our area director, and we wanted to go work with youth and youth training and discipleship and in the leadership. Um, he spoke to us, and he said, well, did anyone ever mention to you Panama? And I, I tell pastors and churches, it was kind of like when, when uh, John the Baptist leapt within the womb of Elizabeth when, when Mary entered and Jesus was there and he just leapt. And, and so when he mentioned Panama, it was just something within our spirit just we knew. Um, we had to be spiritual, and we told our, our, our now you know, boss, we said, well, we have to go pray about it. Um, basically, that just gave us an opportunity to go and to confirm what was what I was feeling was the same thing my wife was feeling, and so we knew instantaneously it was um, God's will for us to go to Panama, and God's opened great doors there. So, I did a good job. You did good, well done. Um, so, uh, as um, when you guys called, well, when you were called to go overseas on missions, uh, both of your children had been born at that point, right? Your daughter was pretty young. How about? I'm sorry, That's I forgot good. the microphone. <laughs> she would have been about a year old or so when we started the okay. process. So what did that transition look like for you guys then knowing, okay, it's not just it's not just us going on missions, but this is something God is calling our family to. What does that look like from a mom, dad side of the picture? It initially seemed pretty easy because in our minds God had called us. There was no question. So we had this enthusiasm going into it. And when we started the process, the process is about a six-month-long process, but we seem to be getting through it very quickly until I got to the last page of the application. And the very last page of the application was a release and hold harmless agreement, which 
I actually read it. Um, but when I first saw it, I was thinking, of course, no big deal. I'm going to sign it. We're going to finish this, this process and be done. But in reading it, what it actually said was that I, in the process of being a missionary, if anything happened to my children, I would not hold the Assemblies of God World Missions responsible. Never thought of holding anybody else responsible for my kids. But there's that reality that sets in that this, yes, God's called the family. But going from just blind faith to swallowing some of the reality that things could happen. And am I still willing to follow God regardless of what happens? And um, we did. I do believe God called the family and we all ministered together. But it, it was, you know, I think that was the most difficult. It was a realization in actually swallowing the fact that things could happen. Absolutely. So what do you guys, um, what do you do um, as you're living your day-to-day -day life to make sure that your ministry to your kids and your family is, is held in, in the proper order to the ministry that God has called you occupationally as well? It's definitely a, a balance of um, balancing act to um, make sure that they are involved because it's not only, I mean, the, the call that God has placed on us, of course, reflects on our children and affects them, and, and we want them to feel called and, and part of it. And, and so we try to involve them. You know, we use the word the Rosh family, you know, um, and, but we try to involve them in aspects of ministry that they're gifted and talented in. Um, my daughter is gifted and talented in making friends. Um, everywhere we go, she's Amber, and they know her, you know. Joanne, your family probably knows Amber in Panama, but, um, but she, she has a knack for just making friends, and, and she's social, but God's just using her also in, in um, being able to help in translating and stuff really well. My son is the techie. Um, behind the scenes like his mom. Um, she does not like being up here, but, you know, he helps us with our sound and, and all that stuff. And, and our so we try to involve them in ministry life as well um, in, in, in everything we do. I have also made it, um, my ministry at this point is my children. So I try not to take on too much because my ministry at, the last four years we started homeschooling and my ministry is to them. So um, that, that is number one for me. And as they grow and as they start leaving home, my ministry will begin to change and refocus. That's good. Um, as you guys prepare uh, your home right now, itinerary and getting ready to head back, um, what are, this, this is a, this is like one of those non-super spiritual questions. This is a non- This isn't home, okay. sorry. Well, Panama's home, but past home. This is a non-spiritual question, mainly for my own interest and somebody else out there is probably interested as well. Um, when you're over there and you're anticipating coming back home and when you're here and you're getting ready to head back, what are some of the things here that you're like, oh, I wish we had when we were back there? Or you're like, oh, I can't believe I have to give this up again to go back over. What are some of the favorite things? I can speak very quickly for my son. Yeah. Internet. Nice. <laughs> the internet here is a lot better. For yeah. Amber... She would say malls. Yeah. She likes to shop. Yeah. Um, I don't know. For me, I, I've kind of got used to transitioning back and forth, but my goodness, grocery shopping is so easy. Yeah. I don't have to smell the meat before I bring it home. <laughs> yeah. You can tell walking into the meat market if it's the day to buy meat or not. Yeah. 
because there's an odor yeah. that kind of fills the area. <laughs> so there's a lot of things, it's just a lot easier here. Yeah. Um, I think that's one thing I'm gonna miss. Leaving Panama. I miss I the mangoes. Oh my goodness, yes. Pineapple. They grew bananas, in our yard. Oranges, all that stuff, yeah. yeah. We had a mango tree in our front yard that the community came and took mangoes from oh, yeah. because we had so many mangoes, they would fall on the ground and rot. Calidad. Yeah. They, yeah. they were amazing, and we would cut them up and freeze them, but, yeah, there's nothing like a good fresh mango nice. right off the tree. Awesome. Um, now, you, some, of the, some of the specific, I know you guys have planted a church over there, and some of the specific ministry you guys have done over the years as well has to do with outreach specifically towards young adults, teenagers. That, that age span is different in Latin America than it is in, in America. Can you tell us a little bit about what that ministry looks like and how you kind of targeted some of those age ranges and some of the things that you do? Sure. Um, yeah, you saw in the video, uh, we are involved in soccer ministry in Panama. Soccer in Panama is life. Um, and so um, that has afforded us an opportunity to minister to especially the young men, but also some girls as well in, in soccer, especially during the summer. Uh, we do soccer camps, much like a mega sports camp type of a thing um, that we do there. We've held it in the, um, in the local what's stadium. It? stadium. Thank you. The word isn't coming to me in English, local, local stadium where we have about 130, 150 kids that come. And um, actually from that, we've, uh, we've been able to send three of them up here to New York, to Rochester, to study in a, in a private um, high school. And so they've been able to come and, and to come up here and go to a, public, uh, a private school here, play soccer, learn English, learn the culture. And so that's been a great blessing uh, for some of the kids in Santiago would never have that never have that opportunity. Also, God opened the door for us to minister to the bikers and skaters in the country of Panama, specifically in Santiago. Every Saturday, I was able to disciple and to work with um, uh, a group of bikers and skaters, and so God has really opened that door as well for us to minister. So, What are some of the, in the lives of the people you worked at, whether it was the lives of young people or the other adults and stuff that you interact with, what are some of the typical spiritual battles that, that you guys confront on a regular basis as you introduce who Christ is to them, whether it be, um, you know, governmental struggles, whether it be spiritual struggles, what, what are some of the, the things that you have to break down first before, uh, as the Holy Spirit guides and leads and directs you guys there? I'll let her talk. <laughs> One of the biggest things we deal with is the air, it's, it's very Catholic entrenched. And when you start presenting the gospel, the biggest thing that you have is the difference between religion and relationship. Because everybody believes in God. Everybody knows there's a God. And anybody you talk to will say, yeah, I believe in God. But when you start talking about a relationship, they don't understand that there's a God who loves them who gave everything for them. They see a, a, a God in heaven who is expecting things from them and not somebody who loves them and died for them. And you, they tend to be scared. You know, they have these um, parades and they will carry the black Jesus through the community and kids will run in fear. <laughs> From, because he, he tends to be scary looking. Maybe so it's just our kids. Maybe it's just <laughs> our kids, yes. But, you know, we hear stories of people that said, you know, their first experience with religion was this statue being carried through the community, and all they had was fear that this thing was going to show up in their room and, yeah. you know, 
It was a nightmare for them. Yeah, and that they have to, you know, walk on their knees for penance to, to uh, a place where Jesus, to where, you know, supposedly Jesus showed up um, in a form of penance when, you know, we're saying, um, you know, you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ and, you know, through grace and through faith. And so there's that dichotomy there. Now, that, that their, their brand or version of Catholicism is not what we would recognize here. Can you explain that a little bit as well? So there's, there's a lot tied into that. Right, right. You want to? Okay. Um, especially when you leave the main city, when you go into the mountains, um, there's a lot of paganism, um, voodoo, santeria, a lot of things mixed in with Catholicism. Basically, when the Catholic Catholics came over hundreds of years ago, the conquistadors, they would baptize the indigenous people into the Catholic church and say, you're now, you're now saved. But they were not taught to give up their old religious practices, and that's all been kind of incorporated. When you go into the mountains, we, we prayed over one baby who the, the mother, the baby was dying of kidney failure. And the mother, there was a bracelet that was on the baby, and I recognized immediately it was red with a black dot, and it was the symbol of the local witch doctor that he had given the baby this to ward off the demons that were attacking. But it, the truth is they don't understand that that's opening them up to these demonic presence and stuff. So there's a lot of intertwined between the Catholic Church and these things. Yeah. How, do you, how do you, for that, for what sounds like a spiritual culture, whether it's healthy or not, how do you communicate the truth of the gospel in contrast to their brand or their understanding of spirituality you know it's um it's a long process you know you really have to build some bridges of trust um and and just to to present a gospel that's pure and a gospel that is life-changing into their lives you know some of the some of the young boys that we young men that we work with you know they they're walking in, in faith in Christ, but it's very difficult for them to leave behind. Um, even, you know, I, I shared in the first service, you know, a lot of them, one of the biggest struggles is for them to take that step to to be baptized, to say, you know, I, I'm now a believer. And, and, and for them, that's breaking complete ties with a lot of them, their families and, and the traditions that they were grown up with. And so it's really a, a process that you have to walk with them and, and teach them and train them, you know, and it's a, it's a slow process. It really is. I think it's also how we live our lives. They watch us, not just because we're the missionaries. We are, we're the foreigners, and we stand out. We're, we're, we're very white-skinned. But we're under a <laughs> microscope, and they watch. Yeah. And if we were to, by showing them how we live our lives and reflecting Christ in our own family, they see the difference between the Catholic Church and what and the Jesus, the gospel that we are presenting to them. We had one lady that came to one of our small groups. Our, our church, we started with small groups, very small groups in the, the community, and she told our small group leader, I have learned more in this small group in the last month than I did in 35 years in the Catholic Church. Um, and so that's nothing about bragging about us, but we try to make it a personal walk and relationship and something that they can learn on their own and, you know, with the help of, of yeah. leadership. So, Can you give us uh, maybe a couple stories of some interactions you've had with them in individuals or situations where um, you saw God show up in some miraculous ways and transform the life of some of the individuals there you work with? I'll go first and then you can. Um, this girl was 30, uh, 23 years old. 
um, she was showing signs of possession, a demon possession. Um, the, the family's Catholic, and so they invited the priest to come. Um, he came with his entourage. They tried to hold her down and exercise the demons. They were thrown across the room um, from one end to the other. His recommendation to her was to put up more candles, more virgins, you know, more more pictures of Mary, um, and then they left. Well, out of the wit's end, the mom calls us. Um, one of our leaders in the church was a family member, and, and we were the squares, you know, the cuadros. Um, and so um, the evangelical church is kind of, you know, looked at as weird um, in a lot of ways. And if I'm lying at all, Joanna, you can, you can say they're lying. But, um, <laughs> but um, and so they call us. And so they, they call the, the co-pastor. And so we go over there. And, you know, without any hassle, without any fighting, we just start singing, sharing the love of Christ to her. Um, and that night um, she was freed of, of demon possession. That night, her stepdad, who had, what I understand, had a stroke, was not able to speak for nine months, shared for 15 minutes of the power and the presence of God that he felt in this house. (laughs) They started coming to church. They were in our church for about a month and a half. The Catholic priest there heard what had happened, came back into their home, and basically condemned them, chastised them, because they had took down all the idols, ordered them to put them back up, forbid them of going to the, to the evangel- evangelical church, and we lost total contact with them. That's the power and manipulation that the father of, the, of that community had, the priest had over this family. Within three months, we heard she was sitting back on the couch, not in her right mind, um, doing the things that she had done before. So that's some of the good and the bad that happens, um, not on a daily basis, but it happens in, in Panama. I'll share one really good one. <laughs> um, so in the church that we planted, I started Children's Church, and I, I raised up a team. We had a rotation of three or four weeks. And this one particular week, God spoke to me, and he said, you need to be ready to teach. And I was like, Lord, I'm not on the schedule. You know, it's not my turn. And, but I prepared, and God had laid on my heart to do a, a lesson on baptism in the Holy Spirit with the children. So I was like, okay, Lord, I'll prepare it, and if I'm not teaching, then I'll just hold on to it and do it later. Well, I showed up that Sunday, and the children's church teacher that was on the rotation did not show up. So I'm just kind of chuckling. Amber and I go in, and we do this lesson with the children on baptism in the Holy Spirit. And these kids were so receptive. And at the very end, I had a chance to get these kids on their knees to pray. And we only had, I think there were only four or five kids in the, in the children's church that day. The youngest was three years old. And as we're sitting there, and she's on her knees before God, she started speaking in tongues at the age of three. So God really yeah, yeah. showed up that day. That's cool. Fantastic. Um, if you have any questions about all that, you can see your pastor and he can explain <laughs> that. So. Love you, man. <laughs> um, so several people are writing in questions. They would love to know about your wonderful little hip bag. If you would like to explain it. They would refer to it as a purse. I didn't want to be presumptuous. It's a, it's a purse. <laughs> it's your purse. Um, after the service, you can just put money in here. <laughs> 
No, this is a, a traditional outfit. Um, I'm missing my sombrero, my hat. I gave that to your pastor. Do you still have the hat that you won? Um, but I gave that to him four years ago. But no, um, this is something they would typically wear um, out for a, you know, a church or, or, or a, a party or something like that. So I'm just missing the hat. So that's what this is all about. Yeah, normally I don't walk around with a man purse. So. <laughs> it's very nice. You should consider it more often. Um, Thanks, Justin, for that question. <laughs> so um, you had mentioned as you guys are heading back, God has kind of given you a vision for more church planting. Um, can you tell us what does that process look like in Panama, the church planting process? Okay. Yeah, you know, we, um, we live in the largest province in Panama, uh, Veraguas. And um, in Veraguas, we had the fewest number of Assembly of God churches in, in all of Panama. Evangelical Assembly of God churches. And so God has really laid on our presbyter's heart, who is over the churches, and on our heart uh, in planting more churches. We have a number of churches in Santiago, but when you go out into the different communities out in the villages and mountains and stuff, there's not a lot of evangelical witness um, there. Um, and so God's opened the door for us, and we're looking at planting 10 churches. Begin with 10 churches. We wanted something that was kind of a stretch for us, but attainable. Right now, we have three that are in operation that we're, we'll be going back and partnering with, and we'll be looking for seven more um, churches and communities to work with and, and just to go in alongside of them um, to bring teams in for evangelism um, through many different ways and then through um, constructing a, uh, at least one phase of a building for them, and then they can complete that building. And so that's kind of what God is the next four eight years. We really don't have a time frame because I really want the churches that are planted to sustain and to be healthy churches. And so really we want to come alongside the, the, the pastors, mentor them, train them, um, make sure that the churches that are being planted are going, to, are going to survive. Can you describe for us, help us to picture mentally, what does a church slash even church service look like in Panama? I would say there's a different, well, our church is a little different. Um, a church building we'll start with that, is typically a cinder block structure. Um, I'm trying to think, I'm laying out in here, you could probably fit three of their churches in this building. Three, three of their, you think? Yeah, I'm just, yeah. three of the typical church buildings, concrete structures, it's just a single room, usually with a bathroom somewhere. Um, and it's, it's all concrete, you know, no fancy. A lot of them don't have windows. They're, they're um, concrete cutouts where the air just blows through and a metal roof. So when it rains, you can't hear the pastor. <laughs> and when it's hot and the sun's shining, you're in an oven. Yeah, yeah. So that's the buildings, but the people come and they, they want to hear the word of God. Joanne goes to the rich church. They had air conditioning in their <laughs> church. Yeah, so. Kairos, they had air conditioning. Um, the services, a typical service is very long. Um, the a pastor, what, what did they tell you? If, if they haven't preached two hours, they haven't preached a message. So, pastor you know. Pastor Doug feels <laughs> the same way. <laughs> they, <laughs> they will, I mean, what you, what we would present as a series, they will do in, in, in one Sunday. And the people stay. Um, now, I, I don't want to say they stay the whole time. They get up. They might go get lunch and come back to church, but they will be All the there. churches have kitchens, you know, that they, they sell do, food, so they'll go out and get food, and then Joanna's they'll come back. She's the like, amen. Worship, There's they something do. to be gained yeah. from this, Pastor Doug. <laughs> worship is long, and they, they, they just they enjoy worship. Yeah. 
They are a spiritual people, and they absolutely love worship. And we love Spanish worship. Oh, I love Spanish worship. There, it's it's full of energy. It's full of life. You get an aerobic workout during a Panamanian worship service. You really do. Now, our church is a little different in that we try to keep our service, our church service is about an hour and a half. Um, we're, and we're drawing in a lot of people that are leaving the church because they work seven days a week, a lot of these people. So to give up three, four, five hours, they can't do it. So our church service is about an hour and a half, and we're drawing a lot of people who maybe are, they're outside the church because they can't make those big, long commitments, but they want to be there. And um, we, we've had business people come and di different, different people that have started coming because it's something that's attainable. They're receiving the word of God. And then we have small groups throughout the week that, that fill their need also. Yeah, they're saying, you know, a lot of them that they're, the church isn't relevant to the young people. And so we see a lot of our churches, the young people are leaving. And so, um, you know, we're, we're very mindful of that and want to make something that is meaningful for them. And so we do, you know, the small groups where they're able to meet throughout the week in a home and, and really live life together. And then on Sundays to have a, a shorter service that's really impactful, be able to hit them with one or two points that they'll be able to live throughout the week. So. And the truth is, with those long services, the pastors feel that's what they're going to, but let's be honest, after about 15, 20 minutes, you're not listening to what the pastor's saying anyway. It's kind of like here today, they're done. <laughs> so in closing, Lord, we just, <laughs> uh, one last question for you. Um, as you guys get ready to head back, first of all, when do you guys head back? July, prayerfully. Okay. And uh, how can, there's, there's ways we can support you in uh, financially, things like that, and we're thankful to have those opportunities. But there's a day-to-day -day way that we can support you guys even before you leave. How can we be praying for you? What sort of spiritual battles can we engage with you as you get ready to transition back home to Panama? I'll start. I'll let her <coughs> have the last word. Um, like I said, we're hoping to go back in July. You can pray for us. Um, we have a little bit of a, a budget shortfall still to, to make up, um, you know, before July. Um, so pray for us that we'll get our budget raised. I have a team coming in August, um, so I need to get there by July. Um, <laughs> like, so Jared? anyway, um, yeah, pray for us for that, you know, our traveling, um, that we won't have many service cancellations. We had one in October. Who would have thought um, freezing rain? in upstate New York in October, but we had one already. But, but pray for us for that, um, you know, that we'll make a, a, a transition um, and that we'll be able to make our on, on time. Um, the second prayer is pray for the 10 churches. And like I said, we have three of them already. Pray for the other seven that God will just open doors and communities outside of Santiago that, that you know, whole cities and communities will be one for, for Christ. So, And then personally for the family, um, our last term, although it was wonderful, was also extremely difficult. Um, we were robbed over and over. Um, we had our dog attacked. We had, you know, various things happen that were discouraging in the midst of all the amazing things that God was doing. And my prayer is that we've begun a healing process, but sometimes, you know, when you have to go back and face that, that situation or that moment again, I, I would like prayer that as the family goes back that we're able to move forward without fear of anything that we were attacked with last term. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing, guys. We appreciate it.
I could have listened to him for two hours. You know, just we could we could do that. Um, I'm going to ask our ushers if they would please come forward. One of the things that we do here is not only do we support this family on a monthly basis through your. Uh, this is what when we have our our faith promise services in September, the money that we raise there. Uh, this is a family that we support, but also there's there's certain cash needs that they have as they are preparing to transition to go back. And uh, we would like to be able to, to provide them an offering to help with those things. If you're writing a check, you can make it out to Grace Assembly. And if you, if you give online, if you want to go online uh, and just click on the, the drop-down menu and, and put designated missions offering, and, and anything that comes in this week will know it, it in, it's intended for the Roshas, and, and we will do that. And then after we take this offering, we're going we're gonna to call the family up and we're going to have you pray for them because we never like letting missionaries escape without us adding a prayer of blessing upon them because they represent us uh, to the places in Panama where we may never see with our eyes, but because we support them, the money that you invest in missions and the souls that come, you get credit for because you participated. And um, so I, I want to encourage you that the investment that you make in missions is multiplied in the hands of God and what he accomplishes. Lord, I pray you bless this offering. May we receive it in such a way that we can invest it in you and this family. In Jesus' name, amen. As, as the offering is coming, I'm going to ask the whole family to come and stand here. One, one of the things that mentioned early service and didn't quite get to here is this is going to be the last term that they will they'll be together as a whole family. Um, this short young man right here, I'm staying on the step, by the way, has about a year until he graduates. His sister's so thankful he's going to be out of the house. Sounds like your family's, doesn't it? <laughs> um, there's parts of him that can't wait to go to college. There's days his parents can't wait for him to go to college. And then there's those days when they begin to, to realize, as many of us have, have had our kids grow up and begin to, to wander into the areas where God leads them. There's that, oh, no, it's never going to be the same again. When they finish this next term, Amber will have reached the age where she likely will not go back with them. And so this is a different stage. I'm a missionary's kid, as, as most of you know, and I... I keenly remember the night where my folks had left to go to Africa. I was in college and I was laying in a room by myself and suddenly realized it was a 21-hour flight between me, my two sisters, and family where they had gone. And, and the overwhelming sense of loneliness and isolation that began to settle on my heart. And I had a really serious conversation with God about why he would do this to my family. Now, perspective is a wonderful thing looking back and seeing how they were used, but but none of us are immune to sad times of transition. So I want you to be in prayer for not just this family, but we have other missionary families as well that are experiencing some of those things. And this morning I'm going to ask this. If, if, you, if you speak Spanish, I want you to come and just stand around and gather around. It, you know, you don't have to be fluent. If you, if you know a word or two, come on. Okay, if you ever took Spanish in school, you can come and join too.
Now we see who failed Spanish in school right now. <laughs> I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. By the way, they're great preachers, and if we'd let them preach this morning, you'd have been blessed. But I, I personally enjoy a personal interaction because I believe that it's important for your heart to be able to connect with their heart as people before you can connect with their heart as missionaries. And uh, there's some very personal things take place in families that we support, and I just wanted you to know them. So would you extend a hand forward as we, just, as we ask God's blessing on them? Father God, you put your thumbprint upon their lives for a specific missions call very young. Lord, I've known them a long time, so I also know that the struggle sometimes that their parents had when they expressed to their parents, we feel called into missions, and moms and dads would say, are you sure you've heard about that? But I, I'm thankful, Lord, for homes that they were raised in that would release them into what God wanted them to do. And now, Father, as their children are growing and have been with them and participated in the ministries, I, I ask that you would heal a mom and dad's heart that prepares for transition for a son. I ask, oh God, that you would allow them to have a special anointing that would be poured into their life. And Father, I know that they, they face some fearful things and, and having their home robbed and, and, and feeling invaded in some of those ways that causes them some hesitation as they go back. So here's what we ask, Lord, very specifically. I ask that every step they take and wherever you lead them to live would be covered by the canopy of your protection. I ask that you would hinder those who seek ill will against them and arrest them by the Spirit, I pray, that they may be free to do the Lord's will wherever you would lead them. I ask that you would provide for them, Lord Jesus. I ask, oh God, that you would give scholarships enough for their son to be able to go to school without a school bill that would remove this fear and worry from people who have submitted their lives to you. I ask, Lord God, that you would provide national pastors to come alongside of them that they can pour their life into so that seven new churches can start and that you would multiply them in growth of new souls. I pray, oh God, as we invest in them through our missions giving, that you would multiply that and that there will be people we will meet in heaven that we will have never known that we were able to influence because of our faithfulness in giving to support them as they go. I ask that you would protect them while they're traveling, Lord, both when they're itinerating here and also this summer as they prepare to go back to the field that you have planted upon their hearts. Lord Jesus, cover them, protect them, anoint them, and may they see marvelous growth in souls as a result of the effort that they put out for your name's sake. Lord Jesus, we now ask that as our hearts have been bound together with theirs, as their stories reverberate through our hearts, that we would remember them in prayer on a daily basis so that we can cover them in prayer and join with them. And we give you thanks, oh God, that those whom you call, you equip, and those whom you equip, you send, and those whom you send, you bring fruit. For that we pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Now I'm gonna ask that you would not move, but if you would open this circle and let them out so that they can make it back to their table. And if there were some questions that you had that we were not able to get to, please meet them back at the table that they have. Grab a prayer card. Put it on your refrigerator, someplace you visit several times a day. And 
and that will remind you to pray for them. May God give you a great week in the Lord. May he bless you and keep you. In Jesus' name, have a great week. God bless you.